Welcome to the Environmental Radio. Sorry, folks. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff. I apologize. You know, when my colleagues set this broadcast up, uh, they are back east. Uh, One colleague is in Tennessee and another one's in Florida. So everything is on Eastern time. Unfortunately, (laughs) I'm on Central Standard Time, and when I set this up, I basically goofed. I thought I had set it up for 5 o'clock Central Standard, and it was 5 o'clock Eastern. So what can I tell you, folks? I am almost an hour late, but better late than never. Uh, I really believe that most of our listeners actually download anyway, but again, apologies. Very definitely. Um, So tonight on the EJR, which is just what I call this show, it's really the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff. We are on the cusp of what's called the COP26 talk. And that basically is an international conference organized by the United Nations to uh, get all these world leaders together and try and come up with these plans to combat what is the climate crisis, all right, the global climate crisis. They keep calling it global warming. I really believe we have to call it something that resonates more with the average person who isn't a scientist, namely, call it what it is, global climate devastation. And you would think that at a conference like that, there would at least be honest uh, science. Well, there, there is and there isn't. So if you saw our little advert, it says greenwashing fraud committed this time by economists. Now, we've talked about greenwashing before on this show. And greenwashing is basically, uh, it's the environmental equivalent of AstroTurf, okay, where basically they're taking in certain groups are taking environmental issues, trying to make it look like and disguise what is really okay. Greenwashing basically occurs when they take what they know to be environmentally hazardous actions and they try and make their actions look like they're being environmentally responsible. All right. Uh, in politics, you might also call it whitewashing, a, some sort of uh, political disaster. You know, it's the equivalent politically of a a politician, um, you know, really committing perjury, but instead they say they misremembered something along those lines. So basically greenwashing is the illegitimate actions of polluters and those that support polluters to make it look like they're actually doing something responsible when they're just continuing to destroy the planet. Okay, so last week, not last week, two weeks ago, we took a hiatus last week. Two weeks ago, I reported on the greenwashing phenomena as criminal fraud by the public relations industry on behalf of big fossil fuel and the banks that fund them. Because when you think about greenwashing, it is a type of fraud. It may be massaged a little bit, it may not look as obvious, but it's fraud. This week, I'm going to focus on the greenwashing being done by alleged objective economists. 
Now, as it turns out, these economists are anything but objective. And, you know, why would they be? They're usually paid or often paid by big fossil fuels. So they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them economically. And, and this is a perfect example of academicians selling out and the damage they do to all of us. In fact, uh, the report I'm going to get into in a few minutes, there's another academician who calls these economists out as basically using their academic credentials as an economist to illegitimately launder the talking points of big fossil fuel. So this report is based on an academic paper written by Benjamin Franta, and it's titled Weaponizing Economics, Big Oil, Economic Consultants, and Climate Policy Delay. Now, Franta's paper was supported by the, um, the Stanform Interdisciplinary Graduate Fellowship Climate, Science, Climate Social Science Network, Stan, oh, Stanford, excuse me, Stanford University Department of History. I stand corrected. Sorry, there was a typo. So his paper was supported by the Stanford Interdisciplinary Graduate Fellowship Climate Social Science Network, Stanford University Department of History. So that's the first story that we're going to focus on. The second story details leaked documents that have been reported all over the place by Greenpeace, reported by the BBC, which show that the gov that various governments, specifically Japan, Saudi Arabia, and Australia, have been lobbying the United Nations to, again, greenwash the IPCC report, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And, you know, the report that basically certifiably stated that this is code red for humanity and the planet. And this intense lobbying is coincidentally, not coincidentally, right before the COP26 conference. And the COP26 conference, again, organized by the UN, is the UN Climate Change Conference. And it's scheduled to take place at, in Glasgow, Scotland this year. It will begin, ironically, on Halloween. So let's go into this. So the first piece is um, in GRIST, which is a really interesting publication. And the piece is written by Maria Paolo Rubiano, who is an environmental justice fellow. And the headline is, How Economists Helped Big Oil Obstruct Climate Action for Decades. Boy, that headline says it all, doesn't it? I, I have to read that again because it, it, it's so to the point. Again, how economists helped big oil obstruct climate action for decades. This is serious criminal activity, people. So science historian Benjamin Franta, who I just talked about, um, on the role economists played in the fossil fuel industry's decades-long disinformation campaign, okay? And it is, you can call it disinformation. In my opinion, you can call it misinformation. But frankly, I prefer to call it what it is, lies. Lies, damned lies, and more damned lies. Okay, I just don't believe in 
molly coddling them. So let's go on. This published October 8th, just this month. So here we go. So this writer talks about, and apparently um, Maria Paolo Rubiano is in this article. She is actually interviewing uh, science historian Benjamin Franta. So there's there's quite a few um, quite a few quotes here. Okay. So she starts out, you know, and I'm just going to read straight from a quote. For more than a decade, researchers and journalists have tried to lay bare the PR, in other words, the public relations machine employed by fossil fuel companies to delay climate action. Huh? And then this, art, this uh, writer quotes science historian Naomi Oreski, who wrote a book called Merchants of Doubt. And she talks about how Oreski's detailed, quote, the critical role some scientists played in denying the soundness of climate science, okay? And goes on, apparently a bit after that, there was an investigation conducted by Inside Climate News, and we talk about that on the show also, who revealed that Exxon denied climate change publicly, all the while their own scientists were, knew about this and warned them for decades that fossil fuels are warming the planet. Okay. Folks, if somebody's at my door right now, let me go get it. Hold on. Sorry, people. That was just nothing there. Ah, don't you love live broadcast? Okay. So going on, this uh, Rubiana also talks, the author of this article talks about how, quote, political leaders have long cited economic research on how taking action on climate change would be prohibitively expensive. Okay. So we know that. Uh, we know that former President Donald Trump used the findings uh, as one of his dubious reasons to basically uh, pull the United States from the Paris Agreement on economics, I mean, on environmental issues. So the question you have to ask yourself is, who's behind this economic research? I, I mean, if this is being used as the reason why we can't try to save the planet for future generations, shouldn't we have at least a... a, a grounding and a, and a reasonable assurance that the people whose research is being quoted are actually honest, honest academicians. And, you know, we've all been trained to think, okay, these are professors, these are academicians, of course they're going to be honest. Not necessarily. We've known for many decades now, especially when you see this growth in private corporations granting money to certain departments in multiple universities. It's, set, it's talked about in whispers, but among academicians, they know that if they don't word a grant proposal a certain way that reflects what that particular corporation wants, they won't get the money. And that lays the foundation 
for very dishonest academics. Okay. So let's look at who's behind the economic research. Okay. Excuse me, folks. Lost my place here. Hold on. Benjamin Franta. She is uh, Rubiano introduces him now. And he is from Stanford University. He is a legal expert. He's also a physicist. And now he's a science historian. So he is well-versed. And he published his findings in the journal Environmental Politics. Okay. Now, since the late 1980s, She's explaining that economists at private, I'm just reading from this, at private consulting firms funded by the fossil fuel industry have played a key role in shaping public discourse about climate policy in the U.S., hawking flawed research, spreading disinformation everywhere from newspapers to congressional testimonies. Okay, that is a very nice way of saying that since the 80s, you have academicians who are professional economists that have accepted jobs or fellowships with private consulting firms. Now, these are consulting firms that are being paid by the fossil fuel industry, the very industry these economists are supposed to be assessing. I mean, come on now. Hello, Fox, Meat Hen House, Bon Appetit. It's that simple. And yet, these economists have been what Congress, members of Congress and pre several presidents have depended on in order to decide whether or not we can afford certain alternative fuels, for instance, whether or not we can afford to go off fossil fuel more rapidly. And she's basically saying that they were put, these economists were pushing illegitimate research. That was disinformation, lies and that this illegitimate research was in newspapers. They, I think uh, later in this they call this one piece that ran in the New York Times of all places an ad, uh, what do you call it, uh, an advertorial instead of an advertisement. And unfortunately in mainstream media for many years now, a lot of the stuff that you see as news that you think was written by a legitimate reporter is actually prepared by public relations firms. Well, it may have some facts in it that that look like news. It's going to <clears throat> it's going to have a definite um, prejudice that benefits the clients of that public relations firm. Okay, that's not legitimate journalism. This interview with Grist between uh, this Rubiano and um, and uh, basically, uh, excuse me, Benjamin Franta, is they're talking about the economist's role in the fossil fuel industry. And, and I guess my question is why have these relationships, and they, her question too is why did these relationships fly under the radar for a long time? To quote, Mr., to quote Franta, quote, for decades, these economists have been inflating the cost of action and downplaying the cost of interaction. I'm, a, I'm sorry, let me say it again. Francis said, for decades, these economists have been inflating the cost of action and downplaying the cost of inaction, which is basically saying that it's going to cost too much money 
to basically get off of big fossil fuel. And if, you know, if we keep using fossil fuel, they're saying it's not such a big deal. Question she asked is, what inspired you to do this particular research on the economic think tanks that have influenced climate policy? And Francis said, quote, it happened by accident. After four years ago, uh, I'm sorry, about four years ago in 2017, I was doing research for one of my graduate history classes at Stanford about the American Petroleum Institute and its history with regard to climate change. I was downloading large collections of newspaper articles and I noticed that it wasn't just the denial of climate science that the industry was promoting. It was these economic talking points as well. I also noticed that the economic experts or sources that the industry cited tended to be the same few people over many years, often Charles River Associates, which is an economic consulting firm. As I was doing all this research, then President Trump announced that the U.S. was going to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. He cited economic statistics that sounded a lot like what I'd been reading, reading from newspaper articles in the 1990s. The study was written by some of the exact same people I had been reading about. So the next question was, who were these people and what were their strategies? And Francis said, I tried to track all the activities that I could from the economic consulting firm Charles Rivers Associates. Every time a major climate policy was proposed, these economists would be there writing newspaper articles and giving testimony in front of Congress. From carbon tax conversations in the Clinton administration to opposing international treaties like the Kyoto Protocol and the COP meetings. They also worked to defeat the cap and trade bills that were proposed throughout the 2000s in the U.S. When that was basically defeated and climate policy became an issue for the states, like in California, they would go to address the California climate policies too. And it goes on to say, there was one advertorial in the New York Times, an advertisement presented as a news article from March 6, 1997. This is around when the Kyoto Protocol was being negotiated. The piece was called, Stop, Look, and Listen Before We Leak. And it starts off, quote, international efforts to deal with climate change are lurching from speculation towards actions that could wreak havoc on nations, even as the underlying science and economics continued to signal caution. It represents this two-pronged strategy that the industry used again and again, where it would cast doubt on the science and say, well, quote, well, actually, we don't know if climate change is happening or if it's from fossil fuels, end quote. And then they would go, quote, and even if it does, it's too expensive to act, end quote. Now, here's a very important question that, to me, is at the crux of the whole issue. The reporter asked uh, Benjamin Franto, were these statistics peer-reviewed? How credible were they? Now, for those of you that are un unfamiliar with the academic process, Whenever there's a study or a major paper presented by academicians, by professors, in order for it to be considered legitimate, it has to go through what's called the peer review process, which means the paper is released to other professors and academicians in the same field. They look at it, they critique it, they, you know, basically their job is to give either a thumbs up or a thumbs down or somewhere in between, but 
it's supposed to be looked at by other people in the same field with full credentials to see if it really merits any, you know, any credibility at all. And whether it's medicine, um, energy, economics, um, literature, history, it doesn't make any difference. The peer review process is the process that decides credibility, legitimacy. If a paper or a study is not peer reviewed, it is not legitimate, period. So again, this reporter asked, quote, were these statistics peer reviewed? Now you know why they asked the question. How credible were they? And Francis' answer is so damning. Quote, it's a very corrupt process where the industry pays the consultants to come up with the results the industry wants. And they can't give anything else because their model can only produce this outcome. It's not a peer-reviewed publication. The details are not even available to other economists to scrutinize because their models are proprietary. And then it's printed in newspapers like the New York Times and it's given in congressional testimony to senators and representatives passed off, often by the oil companies that paid for it as, quote, independent, rigorous research when it was neither one of those things. Now, what France is saying, incredibly damning. He basically said, the industry, the consultants are these economists, these academicians. So these economists are using their academic credential, yeah, to launder what big fossil fuel wants them to say, wants them to present. And then, of course, it's not going to go through the legitimate process of peer review because in peer review, it would be torn apart, all right? And they know that. They hide behind these, um, the, the legal excuse that this is a work product that is considered, quote, proprietary. And what that means in the legal uh, world, if, if corporate attorneys call a study, for instance, proprietary, they're saying they own it. They're saying they developed it, they own it, and only they can decide if they're going to let other people look at it. And this goes on throughout corporate. I'll give you an example. Big fossil fuel, one of the things they do is called hydraulic fracturing. We call it fracking. And it's, this is what you hear about when they talk about tar sands, tar sands oil. So it's not oil, it's bituminous coal, actually. And they use this toxic soup, if you will, of various chemicals that they call fracking fluid to shoot this coal through these pipes, okay, like the Keystone was. And you know, words leaked out, for instance, that we know that one of the one of the chemicals in fracking fluid is benzene, which, which is a proven carcinogen. Um, but even the federal government, through the Environmental Protection Agency, is not allowed to see what all is in fracking fluid because the corporate lawyers called it pr pr proprietary. So they get a pass on it hiding behind that, even if this could be stuff, again, that could be toxic, and it often is. Again, we know benzene's and fracking fluid. So that's an example of how 
proprietary um, product is used to cover up corporate crimes. And in this instance, these economic studies can't look at them because they're proprietary. So essentially, they are using these academicians, these economists, to rubber stamp what big fossil fuel wants them to say in terms of the economics, the affordability of possibly getting off fossil fuel and going to renewables. And what's at stake here? Whether or not our children and grandchildren inherit a world that is even marginally habitable. That's what's at stake and all further damn profit. <clears throat> so another question that the reporter asked Franta is, you mentioned that the models are, desi are designed in a way that rigs the game from the start. Can you explain that? And Franta answers, quote, basically the model starts off assuming that the economy is already optimal, in other words, as good as it can be, and is already working the best that it can. When you assume that, then the inevitable outcome of any policy to intervene in the economy is, by definition, going to cost money instead of saving money. And, of course, that's not a logical outcome. He goes on to say, quote, these economists were assuming things like that renewable energy will always cost eight times more than fossil fuels, even 100 years into the future. They ignored all the benefits of avoiding climate change. Without any sort of evidence, they would say things like, quote, climate, let me repeat that again, according to Franta, quote, without any sort of evidence, they would say things like, quote, climate change is not going to hurt the economy until around the year 2100, end quote. He goes on to say they only add the cost of moving away from fossil fuels. Okay? Well, that's stacking stacks. Um, that's the equivalent of, say, somebody going into the grocery and, um, you know, you're told, no, actually, that's a bad example, but they're only considering the cost of getting off fossil fuel. And if we had gotten off fossil fuel some time ago and switched over, there's plenty of scientific, excuse me, scientific evidence that shows that a lot of the climate disasters, the flooding, the wildfires in California, which has triggered mass migration, the reduction in arable land that can be farmed, the um, food crisis, if you will, and the water crisis, a lot of that could have been avoided so, and that costs a lot more, not only in terms of money, but in terms of human life. So, the reporter then asked Franta, did anyone catch those errors in calculations back when they were done? And Franta said, quote, some people did notice this at the time. When I'm reading the historical records, I'll sometimes see somebody like Florentine Krauss who was the director of the International Project for Sustainable Energy Task. And she said, uh, quote, hey, it looks like these models were designed to come up with this answer, end quote. That's a damning statement. But these, lone, these were lone voices in the wilderness. The next question the reporter asked is, we've been talking for years about science denial, about how companies like Exxon publicly denied the problem 
even when their own scientists were warning them of the changes underway. Why do you think the contributions of economists to this disinformation campaign have been able to fly under the radar for so long? And Franta answered, quote, these economists weren't completely alone in their approach. Charles River Associates were simply the preferred source for the industry. We might look at some proclamations in these economic reports, like that climate change is not going to hurt us until the year 2100. But he goes on to say, but what surprised me the most is that I found even more outlandish things said by prestigious professors at universities like Stanford, heads of departments, who themselves were getting a lot of funding from the oil and gas industry. He goes on to say, quote, they use their academic credentials to kind of launder their bad science, end quote. So we've all heard about money laundering. You know, money laundering is a way of, you know, separating money that was obtained through criminal enterprise and, and making it look like it's clean money. This is academic laundering. Okay. Unfortunately, this is far worse because the lies of these economists have cost the world just about everything. So he was asked, has the strategy changed or mutated in more recent years? Are the same economists writing reports today like the ones you found in the 1980s and 1990s? And Franta answers, quote, a lot of the consultants working on climate left Charles River Associates around the same time, and they ended up at NERA, or the National Economic Research Associates. He goes on to say, that was actually the firm that produced the report that former President Trump cited to justify leaving the Paris Agreement. He goes on to say, so the firms change and sometimes the, people's cha the people change. There are new people that get involved over time and others retire, but the basic strategy has stayed largely the same for over 30 years now. And then the last question was, the reporter asked Franta, what do you think should be the main takeaway from these new findings? And Franta said the following, quote, for decades, economists have been inflating the cost of action and downplaying the cost of inaction. And largely, they've been doing that based on an outmoded economic paradigm. Just because a lot of people have built their careers based on this approach, it's not a good enough reason to keep doing it if it's hurting us. Okay, so. Basically, it's the same thing, all right? These economists have sold their souls for corporate money, and even though they, yeah, he's right. These economists did launder bad science, if you will, bad economics, and it was done by using the halo effect of their academic credential, all right? Again, from top universities like Stanford. What is really upsetting beyond this is that, okay, the newspapers, they didn't do their due diligence. That's obvious. But when these economists testified in front of Congress, they lied. They essentially perjured themselves in front of Congress. Why, 
aren't, why isn't somebody going back in those records and calling out not only the consultants and the attorneys that harbor them and hide behind proprietary rights? <coughs> why aren't these economists facing criminal charges of perjury with the necessary jail time? It's a legitimate question. So, again, this is a really interesting um, interesting article. We will be talking about it more, I guarantee it. And, again, I do apologize for the scatter today. Um, we're going to move on to our next story. I have to scroll down here. So much stuff here. And it's been a rough week. My furnace decided to stop working. <laughs> so... I have a few space heaters, but yeah, it's been uncomfortable. So anybody who just is among the great unwashed non-rich, you can empathize. You know what it's like. Okay. So the next story deals with the upcoming COP26 conference. Now, once again, the COP26 conference is an international conference that these leaders get together to discuss how we're going to uh, possibly move forward and deal with this global climate devastation. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. And Greenpeace, um, the president of Greenpeace issued a warning after this story broke. Apparently, documents leaked out. Thank God. And, you know, even the BBC did a story, and that's the one I'm looking at. And um, this was a story written and published in BBC News, written by Justin Rowlett and Tom Gherkin. And the, head, the headline is, COP26, document, re, me, document leak reveals nations lobbying to change key climate report. Now, the industrial nations are the ones really you know, causing this. Um, more often than not, too many people have been misled to believing that if you don't, um, you know, if you don't recycle, if you don't buy an electric car, whatever, that all this disaster is looming over us is your fault, each per individual. And while individuals need to also take responsibility, Majority of this has been caused by corporate greed, period. And by people serving in office that are, in addition to economists, that um, bastardize their credential, bastardize their their uh, professional um, reputations, if you will. And if anybody's paying attention, risk perjury charges because they did perjure themselves when they te when they lied in front of Congress. You lied to Congress, that's perjury. And those are federal charges. Those don't go away. So there was this huge leak of documents and it showed how certain countries are trying to change the scientific report. Now COP is the COP conference is the one that a lot of groups like not only Greenpeace, but Extinction Rebellion have been preparing for. You know, it, it's what Greta, um, Greta Thunberg's been talking about because the adults haven't been doing what they're supposed to be doing. All right. 
And a lot of us that aren't scientists necessarily, we've been lied to. We've been lied to throughout, but now we need to demand the truth because we're not the ones, you know, in the boomer generation, we're not the ones that are going to really pay the worst price for these sins. It's going to be our kids and our grandkids. Okay? So the leak of documents revealed that the following countries are among countries. Now, they're not the only ones, okay? But they were the key countries. Uh, it reveals that Saudi Arabia, predictably, big fossil fuel producer, Japan and Australia are among countries. They're not the only ones. Asking the UN to greenwash the need to move, to downplay the need to quickly away from fossil fuels. Because God forbid, they should lose a little profit. And these are the wealthy nations, and you have to understand, when it comes to carbon emitters, when it comes to big fossil fuel, yeah, China is a big user, but the worst offender is the United States, period. And it looks like we are going full speed ahead with producing more fossil fuel. This cannot be allowed. The, um, these, these leaked documents also show that a lot of wealthy nations are questioning and, and really objecting to the idea that they have to pay more to poorer countries to move to renewable technologies. And basically, the industrial north and west has polluted things so much that it is the poor southern hemisphere that is suffering the most, okay, where, you know, there's horrible droughts and children are going hungry. There's no, there's no coincidence. There's no accident here. We've caused it. So these, these different countries have been lobbying, and the lobbying raises questions for the COP26 climate summit that is going to, it's in November, it's going to start the evening of Halloween. And, you know, young people that are in groups like Extinction Rebellion have good reason to call them out as liars. All right? They just do. Um, you know, will this just be another conference, excuse me, another conference that makes it look like they're doing something and they're really not? I mean, the UN produced, the IPCC produced an incredibly large document that put it in plain terms. They said, this is code red for the planet. How much clearer can that be? Code red. That means change or die. There's no guesswork here. Now, this leak, these leaked documents reveal that countries are predictably wealthy countries pushing back on UN recommendations and for action uh, regarding climate change, and it comes just days before these same rich countries will be asked at the summit to make significant commitments to try and slow down climate change. The leaked documents, it's not a few documents. There's more than 32,000 submissions. 30, more than 32,000 submissions made by governments, 
made by corporations and made by other interested parties that were all sent to the team of scientists that are putting together this UN report, the, the idea of they're bringing together the best scientific evidence on the planet to try and determine how are we going to deal, how are we going to fight this global climate devastation? And that's, that's what they're referring to in terms of these assessment reports. And these assessment reports through the IPCC, which is with the UN, the Inter Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they come up with one of these huge reports every six to seven years. And they evaluate the science of climate change. And I think when, they, when the leaked documents, when this BBC article said the over 32,000 submissions, okay, we know made by governments and corporations, but other interested parties, to me that sounds like public relations firms, corporate legal practices, and so on and so forth, okay? Maybe some, uh, you know, some PACs, that kind of thing. And these assessment reports are used by government so they can, so you can formulate what actions you need to take to try and deal with this. Um, and the Glasgow Conference, I don't blame the kids at Extinction Rebellion for having major protests, they're right. They know that these government officials, they know these corporations, they know these economists, as proven by Benjamin Franta, will lie. More corruption. Um, and this is, the leak shows that there's a number of countries and groups that are arguing the world doesn't need to reduce the use of fossil fuels or as quickly as the report reads right now. An advisor to the Saudi oil ministry demands the following, that freight, quote, phrases like the need for urgent and accelerated mitigation actions at all scales should be eliminated from the report, end quote. Seriously, graceful, okay? A senior Australian government official has rejected the idea that closing coal-fired power plants is even necessary, even though basically ending coal as a fuel is a stated objective of the COP26 conference. And you think, okay, why Australia? We know why Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is one of the largest oil producers in the world, but a lot of people don't realize Australia is a major coal exporter. There you go. There was also a senior scientist from India, Central Institute of Mining and Fuel Research. Um, and this particular institute has strong links to the Indian government, warning that coal is, quote, likely to remain the mainstay of energy production for decades because of what they describe as the tremendous challenges of providing affordable electricity, end quote. And it should be noted, India is the world's second biggest consumer of coal. Now, that senior scientist working for that institute that has links to the Indian government saying that, hmm, the only way we can have affordable electricity is by using coal, that ties in with the first story we did showing how these economists have greenwashed and lied because it's just not true. 
In fact, we covered in this show before, one of the reasons why we're still stuck on fossil fuel, especially here in the U.S., is because the fossil fuel industry still receives major taxpayer subsidies that they no longer deserve. Okay? This is what we're dealing with here. Saudi Arabia also requested that the UN scientists delete the conclusion that, quote, the focus of decarbonization efforts in the energy system sector needs to be on rapidly shifting to zero carbon sources and actively phasing out fossil fuels, end quote. But there's some others. Get this, Argentina, Norway, and of course OPEC, those are oil producing nations, also take issue with that statement. Norway argues that the UN scientists should allow the possibility of CCS as a potential, uh, which is carbon capture and storage, as a tool to reduce emissions from fossil fuels. The problem is that CCS, carbon capture and storage, is an unproven technology, not even completely formulated. So that they want to bank on the world's future with a technology that is one, <clears throat> unproven, and hasn't even been completely formulated. Okay. Uh, this is outrageous, okay? Australia also asked IPCC scientists to delete a reference to the analysis of the role played by fossil fuel lobbyists in watering down action on climate in Australia and the U.S. And I just read straight from the BBC article. So now Australia is saying, you have to delete this reference, this statement that the fossil fuel lobbyists have played a role. In, in other words, they want to censor the report so it doesn't tell the truth. OPEC predictably also said the same thing. They asked the IPCC to, quote, delete lobby activism, protecting rent, extracting, I'm sorry, let me go again. OPEC also asked the IPCC to do, to do the following, quote, delete lobby activism, protecting rent extracting business models, prevent political action. Okay. And OPEC also in their comments about the draft of this report said the following, that OPEC, again, the oil producing and exporting countries, told the BBC the following, quote, the challenge of tackling emissions has many paths, as evidenced by the IPCC report, and we need to explore them all. We need to utilize all available energies as well as clean and more efficient technological solutions to help reduce emissions, ensuring no one is left behind, end quote. Okay, but all the legitimate scientists said, this is caused by fossil fuel. We can't afford to delay. We're already on code red. And now, these sources want to censor honest scientists through the IPCC. Okay. Now, the IPCC um, basically said that comments from these governments are, quote, central to its scientific review process, but they also said that the authors don't have any obligation to use those comments in the report. Um, the IPCC told the BBC the following, quote, our processes are designed to guard against lobbying from all quarters. 
The review process is and always has been absolutely fundamental to the IPCC's work and is a major source of the strength and credibility of our report, end quote. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me, folks, all of a sudden. So, the IPCC is important, all right? In fact, the United Nations received a Nobel Prize in 07 for the IPCC's work on climate science and the important role it plays in <clears throat> this um, work to tackle climate, what they call climate change, I call global climate devastation. Now, there is a tie-in also to cutting our carbon footprint by eating less meat. And Brazil and Argentina had a problem with that because they're two of the biggest producers of beef products and animal feed crops in the world. But there, and so there is this chart they have, how much impact does food have? Um, and proportion of, it says proportion of total greenhouse gas emissions from food. According to the chart, about a quarter of global emissions come from food. And when they're talking about, they're not talking about, we're not talking about family farmers, okay? We're talking about agribusiness, massive agribusiness. Uh, more than half of the food emissions come from animal products, and half of all farmed animal emissions come from beef and lamb. Okay? And the draft, and that, the source from that is um, an article in Science from 2018, the source Poor and Nemechek. The draft report also says that, quote, plant-based diets can reduce greenhouse gas emissions up to 50% compared to the average emission-intensive Western diet, end quote. And Brazil disagrees with it, obviously. Um, there's also money for poorer countries, and there's some problems with that, too. Um, Switzerland apparently has a problem with it. Uh, quite a few of Switzerland's comments are directed at basically amending or changing the parts of the report that say that developing countries will need financial support, uh, especially from wealthy countries in order to meet emission reduction targets, which is perfectly legitimate. Um, in 09, the climate conference in Copenhagen um, said that developed nations would provide 100 billion with a B a year in climate finance for developing countries by 2020, that target has not been met, and it's 2021. Okay, Australia also has a problem with this. Um, they say developing countries, um, well, again, it comes down to money. It comes down to greed, folks, all right? The, uh, the BBC was given a quote from the Swiss Federal Office for the Environment, and here's the quote. Quote, while climate finance is a critical tool to increase climate ambition, it is not the only relevant tool. Switzerland takes the view that all parties to the Paris Agreement with the capacity to do so should support to those who need such support, end quote. You have to remember, we've dumped on those poor nations. The pollution, for instance, from mining operations in South and Central America that has poisoned a lot of their water, that has hurt agriculture there. Just, we're talking small tenant farmers, okay? 
Uh, going nuclear. Mostly Eastern European countries say the draft report should be more positive about the role nuclear power can play in meeting UN's climate targets. India goes further, saying that, quote, almost all the chapters contain a bias against nuclear energy, end quote. India also says that um, nuclear is a, quote, an established technology, quote, with good political backing, except in a few countries, end quote. So this is what we're dealing with here. All right, um, big money interests are basically like drug addicts. That's it. Um, God, they, they will not give up their profits. Okay, so in conclusion, again, we face major global environmental devastation. And as we see this, we also see more what can only be called systemic corruption coming from the academic field of economics and the mainstream media that utterly failed to perform their due diligence when it came to editorials written by economists, economists that were financially, you could say, owned, bought and paid for by the very same fossil fuel industry they were tasked with assessing. Again, these economists were directly paid by the fossil fuel industry in return for creating pseudo-studies which were presented to the public as actual news when it was just an advertisement for fossil fuel. Their opinions were not the product of the legitimate peer review process. Furthermore, these same economists essentially used their academic credentials to launder dirty energy talking points. They testified before Congress, which means they committed perjury. They knew what they were saying, what you call misinformation, but it's still lying. They knew that what they were saying was perjured testimony, was lies, and they'd never faced criminal charges. Furthermore, their alleged studies can't be reviewed by other economists because the legions of corporate lawyers employed by big fossil fuel claim those studies to be proprietary and not subject to any review outside the owner of that work product without the owner giving permission, which they never will. So where was Congress during all this? Why did they blindly accept this perjured testimony from economists, which has no merit? Why did the mainstream media, including the New York Times, accept these ads and, pre and present them as news? And finally, when lobbying crosses over into influence peddling, and, and baby, we passed that landmark ages ago, we must have, again, criminal prosecution. This is a case not only for these economists laundering bogus false studies, but also the leaders of polluting states seeking to undermine the COP26 talks sponsored by the United Nations. If there was ever a need to make ecocide, in other words, the murder of all life on the planet, that's what ecocide means. If there was ever a need to make ecocide a crime against humanity and the planet, these two stories document that very real need. This isn't about being a tree hugger, people. This is the future of the planet we're talking about. 
This is the dire future that our children and grandchildren inherit. And this is because we failed to hold corporations, academicians, politicians, and corporate attorneys accountable. We're going to leave behind a poisoned husk of a planet unfit for any sort of habitation because of blind greed and moral cowardice. I urge everyone who downloads this show, who listens, read the study, to contact DC. Contact not only your own representatives and senators, contact all of them. Seriously. And give them hell. Because once again, this isn't going to affect those of us in the boomer generation. It's going to affect our kids and our grandkids. It's going to, we're talking about a black future where there will be food and water shortages. If you think the California wildfires are out of control now, it's only going to get worse. We owe future generations, owe them by trying to fix this planet. But in order to do that, we need honest science. And if the people running Congress and in the White House, regardless of party, won't do it, then we need to kick them out and get people that will do the job. Well, that's it for tonight. Um, We're going to continue on this, this soapbox, if you will. And with that, I say good night and God bless.